0: Part 1 of Omnilingual This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Trishy Mattson www.whatstheworkednow.blogspot.com Omnilingual by H. Beam Piper Part 1 Martha Dane paused looking up at the purple-tinged copper sky. The wind had shifted since noon, while she had been inside, and the dust storm that was sweeping the high deserts to the east was now blowing out over Sirtis. The sun, magnified by the haze, was a gorgeous magenta ball as large as the sun of Terra, at which she could look directly. Tonight, some of that dust would come sifting down from the upper atmosphere to add another film to what had been burying the city for the last 50,000 years. The Red Loos lay over everything, covering the streets and the open spaces of park and plaza, hiding the small houses that had been crushed and pressed flat under it, and the rubble that had come down from the tall buildings when roofs had caved in and walls had toppled outward. Here... Where she stood, the ancient streets were a hundred to a hundred and fifty feet below the surface. The breach they had made in the wall of the building behind her had opened into the sixth story. She could look down on the cluster of prefabricated huts and sheds, on the brush-grown flat that had been the waterfront when this place had been a seaport, on the ocean that was now Surtis Depression. Already... The bright metal was thinly coated with red dust. She thought, again, of what clearing this city would mean in terms of time and labor, of people and supplies and equipment brought across 50 million miles of space. They'd have to use machinery. There was no other way it could be done. Bulldozers and power shovels and drag lines. They were fast, but they were rough and indiscriminate. She remembered the digs around Harappa and Mohenjo-Daro, in the Indus Valley, and the careful, patient, native laborers, the painstaking foremen, the pickmen and spademen, the long files of basketmen carrying away the earth. Slow and primitive as the civilization whose ruins they were uncovering, yes, but she could count on the fingers of one hand the times one of her pickmen damaged a valuable object in the ground. If it hadn't been for the underpaid and uncomplaining native laborer, archaeology would still be back where Winkelmann had found it. But on Mars, there was no native labor. The last Martian had died 500 centuries ago. Something started banging like a machine gun four or five hundred yards to her left. A solenoid jackhammer. Tony Latimer must have decided which building he wanted to break into next. She became conscious, then, of the awkward weight of her equipment and began redistributing it, shifting the straps of her oxy-tank pack, slinging the camera from one shoulder and the board and drafting tools from the other, gathering the notebooks and sketchbooks under her left arm. She started walking down the road, over hillocks of buried rubble, around snags of wall jutting up out of the loose, past buildings still standing, some of them already breached and explored, and across the brush-grown flat to the huts. There were ten people in the main office room of Hut 1 when she entered. As soon as she had disposed of her oxygen equipment, she lit a cigarette, her first since noon, then looked from one to another of them. Old Selim von Olmhorst, the Turco-German, one of her two fellow archaeologists, sitting at the end of the long table against the farther wall, smoking his big curved pipe and going through a loose-leaf notebook. The girl ordnance officer, Sachiko Koremitsu, between two drop lights at the other end of the table, her head bent over her work. Colonel Hubert Penrose, the Space Force CO, and Captain Field, the intelligence officer, listening to the report of one of the Airdyne pilots, returned from his afternoon survey flight, a couple of girl lieutenants from Signals going over the script of the evening telecast to be transmitted to the Cyrano on orbit 5,000 miles off-planet and relayed from thence to Terra via Lunar. Sid Chamberlain, the trans-space News Service man, was with them. Like Salim and herself, he was a civilian. He was advertising the fact with a white shirt and a sleeveless blue sweater and Major Lindemann, the engineer officer, and one of his assistants, arguing over some plans on a drafting board. She hoped, drawing a pint of hot water to wash her hands and sponge off her face, that they were doing something about the pipeline. She started to carry the notebooks and sketchbooks over to where Selim von Olmhorst was sitting, and then, as she always did, she turned aside and stopped to watch Sachko. The Japanese girl was restoring what had been a book 50,000 years ago. Her eyes were masked by a binocular loop, the black headband invisible against her glossy black hair, and she was picking delicately at the crumbled page with a hair-fine wire set in a handle of copper tubing. Finally, loosening a particle as tiny as a snowflake, she grasped it with tweezers placed it on the sheet of transparent plastic on which she was reconstructing the page, and set it with a mist of fixative from a little spray gun. It was a sheer joy to watch her. Every movement was as graceful and precise as though done to music, after being rehearsed a hundred times. Hello, Martha. It isn't cocktail time yet, is it? The girl at the table spoke without raising her head, almost without moving her lips as though she were afraid that the slightest breath would disturb the flaky stuff in front of her. No, it's only 15.30. I finished my work over there. I didn't find any more books, if that's good news for you. Sachiko took off the loop and leaned back in her chair, her palms cupped over her eyes. No, I like doing this. I call it micro-jigsaw puzzles. This book here really is a mess. Salim found it lying open, with some heavy stuff on top of it. The pages were simply crushed. She hesitated briefly. If only it would mean something after I did it. There could be a faintly critical overtone to that. As she replied, Martha realized that she was being defensive. It will, some day. Look how long it took to read Egyptian hieroglyphics, even after they had the Rosetta Stone. Sachiko smiled. Yes, I know, but they did have the Rosetta Stone. And we don't. There is no Rosetta Stone, not anywhere on Mars. A whole race, a whole species, died while the first Cro-Magnon cave artist was daubing pictures of reindeer and bison, and across 50,000 years and 50 million miles, there was no bridge of understanding. We'll find one. There must be something, somewhere, that will give us the meaning of a few words, and we'll use them to pry meaning out of more words, and so on, we may not live to learn this language, but we'll make a start, and some day somebody will. Sachiko took her hands from her eyes, being careful not to look toward the unshaded light, and smiled again. This time Martha was sure that it was not the Japanese smile of politeness, but the universally human smile of friendship. I hope so, Martha, really, I do. It would be wonderful for you to be the first to do it and it would be wonderful for all of us to be able to read what these people wrote. It would really bring this dead city to life again, the smile faded slowly. But it seems so hopeless. You haven't found any more pictures? Sachiko shook her head. Not that it would have meant much if she had. They had found hundreds of pictures with captions. They had never been able to establish a positive relationship between any pictured object and any printed word. Neither of them said anything more, and after a moment, Sachiko replaced the loop and bent her head forward, over the book. Selim von Olmhorst looked up from his notebook, taking his pipe out of his mouth. Everything finished over there? He asked, releasing a puff of smoke. Such as it was, she laid the notebooks and sketches on the table. Captain Jekylls started ear-sealing the building from the fifth floor down, with an entrance on the sixth they will start putting in oxygen generators as soon as that's done. I have everything cleared up where he'll be working. Colonel Penrose looked up quickly, as though making a mental note to attend to something later. Then he returned his attention to the pilot, who was pointing something out on a map. Von Ulmhorst nodded. There wasn't much to it at that, he agreed. Do you know which building Tony has decided to enter next? The tall one with a conical thing like a candle extinguisher on top, I think. I heard him drilling for the blasting shots over that way. Well, I hope it turns out to be one that was occupied up to the end. The last one hadn't. It had been stripped of its contents and fittings. A piece of this and a bit of that, haphazardly, apparently over a long period of time, until it had been almost gutted. For centuries, as it had died, this city had been consuming itself by a process of auto-cannibalism. She said something to that effect. Yes, we always find that, except, of course, at places like Pompeii. Have you seen any of the other Roman cities in Italy? he asked. Mentorne, for instance. First the inhabitants tore down this to repair that, and then, after they had vacated the city, other people came along and tore down what was left, and burned the stones for lime, or crushed them to mend roads, till there was nothing left but the foundation traces. That's where we are fortunate. This is one of the places where the Martian race perished, and there were no barbarians to come later and destroy what they had left. He puffed slowly at his pipe. Some of these days, Martha, we are going to break into one of these buildings and find that it was one in which the last of these people died. Then we will learn the story. Of the end of this civilization. And if we learn to read their language, we'll learn the whole story, not just the obituary. She hesitated, not putting the thought into words. We'll find that sometime, Selim, she said, then looked at her watch. I'm going to get some more work done on my lists before dinner. For an instant, the old man's face stiffened in disapproval. He started to say something, thought better of it, and put his pipe back into his mouth. The brief wrinkling around his mouth and the twitch of his white mustache had been enough, however. She knew what he was thinking. She was wasting time and effort, he believed. Time and effort belonging not to herself, but to the expedition. He could be right, too, she realized. But he had to be wrong. There had to be a way to do it. She turned from him silently and went to her own packing case seat at the middle of the table. Photographs and photostats of restored pages of books, and transcripts of inscriptions were piled in front of her, and the notebooks in which she was compiling her lists. She sat down, lighting a fresh cigarette, and reached over to a stack of unexamined material, taking off the top sheet. It was a photostat of what looked like the title page, and contents of some sort of a periodical. She remembered it. She had found it herself, two days before, in a closet in the basement of the building she had just finished examining. She sat for a moment, looking at it. It was readable, in the sense that she had set up a purely arbitrary but consistently pronounceable system of phonetic values for the letters. The long vertical symbols were vowels. There were only ten of them, not too many, allowing separate characters for long and short sounds. There were twenty of the short horizontal letters, which meant that sounds like ng or tch or sh were single letters. The odds were millions to one against her system being anything like the original sound of the language, but she had listed several thousand Martian words, and she could pronounce all of them. And that was as far as it went. She could pronounce between three and four thousand Martian words, and she couldn't assign a meaning to one of them. Selim von Olmhorst believed that she never would. So did Tony Latimer and he was a great deal less reticent about saying so. So, she was sure, did Sachimo Koremitsu. There were times, now and then, when she began to be afraid that they were right. The letters on the page in front of her began squirming and dancing, slender vowels with fat little consonants. They did that, now, every night in her dreams. And there were other dreams, in which she read them as easily as English, waking, She would try desperately and vainly to remember. She blinked and looked away from the photostatted page. When she looked back, the letters were behaving themselves again. There were three words at the top of the page, over and underlined, which seemed to be the Martian method of capitalization. Master Norvad, Tadavaz, Sornhulva. She pronounced them mentally leafing through her notebooks to see if she had encountered them before, and in what context. All three were listed. In addition, mastar was a fairly common word, and so was norvad, and so was nor, but vod was a suffix, and nothing but a suffix. Davus was a word, too, and ta was a common prefix. Sorn and hulva were both common words. This language, she had long ago decided, must be something like German, when the Martians had needed a new word, they had just pasted a couple of existing words together. It would probably turn out to be a grammatical horror. Well, they had published magazines, and one of them had been called Mas Tadavas Sornhulva. She wondered if it had been something like the Quarterly Archaeological Review, or something more on the order of sexy stories. A smaller line, under the title, was plainly the issue number and date. Enough things had been found numbered in series to enable her to identify the numerals and determine that a decimal system of numeration had been used. This was the 1,754th issue for Doma, 14837. Then Doma must be the name of one of the Martian months. The word had turned up several times before. She found herself puffing furiously on her cigarette as she leafed through notebooks and piles of already examined material. Sachiko was speaking to somebody, and a chair scraped at the end of the table. She raised her head to see a big man with red hair and a red face in Space Force Green with the single star of a major on his shoulder, sitting down. Ivan Fitzgerald, the medic. He was lifting weights from a book similar to the one the girl ordnance officer was restoring. "'Haven't had time lately,' he was saying in reply to Sachiko's question. "'The Finchley girl's still down with whatever it is she has, "'and it's something I haven't been able to diagnose yet, "'and I've been checking on bacteria cultures, "'and in what spare time I have, "'I've been dissecting specimens for Bill Chandler. "'Bill's finally found a mammal. "'Looks like a lizard.' And it's only four inches long, but it's a real, warm-blooded, gamogenetic, placental, viviparous mammal. Burrows, and seems to live on what paths for insects here. Is there enough oxygen for anything like that? Sachiko was asking. Seems to be, close to the ground. Fitzgerald got the headband of his loop adjusted and pulled it down over his eyes. He found this thing in a ravine down on the sea bottom. Huh, this page seems to be intact. Now, if I can get it out all in one piece, he went on talking inaudibly to himself, lifting the page a little at a time and sliding one of the transparent plastic sheets under it, working with minute delicacy. Not the delicacy of the Japanese girl's small hands, moving like the paws of a cat washing her face, but like a steam hammer cracking a peanut. Field archaeology requires a certain delicacy of touch, too, but Martha watched the pair of them with envious admiration. Then she turned back to her own work, finishing the table of contents. The next page was the beginning of the first article listed. Many of the words were unfamiliar. She had the impression that this must be some kind of scientific or technical journal. That could be because such publications made up the bulk of her own periodical reading. She doubted if it were fiction. The paragraphs had a solid, factual look. At length, Ivan Fitzgerald gave a short, explosive grunt. Ha! Got it! She looked up. He had detached the page, and was cementing another plastic sheet onto it. Any pictures? she asked. Not on this side. Wait a minute. He turned to the sheet. Not on this side, either. He sprayed another sheet of plastic to sandwich the page, then picked up his pipe and relighted it. I get fun out of this, and it's good practice for my hands, so don't think I'm complaining, he said. But Martha, do you honestly think anybody's ever going to get anything out of this? Sachiko held up a scrap of the silicone plastic the Martians had used for paper with her tweezers. It was almost an inch square. Look, three whole words on this piece, she crowed. Ivan, you took the easy book. Fitzgerald wasn't being sidetracked. This stuff's absolutely meaningless, he continued. It had a meaning 50,000 years ago when it was written, but it has none at all now. She shook her head. Meaning isn't something that evaporates with time, she argued. It has just as much meaning now as it ever had. We just haven't learned how to decipher it. That seems like a pretty pointless distinction, Selim von Olmhorst joined the conversation. There no longer exists a means of deciphering it. But we'll find one. She was speaking, she realized, more in self-encouragement than in controversy. How? From pictures and captions? We've found captioned pictures, and what have they given us? A caption is intended to explain the picture, not the picture to explain the caption. Suppose some alien to our culture found a picture of a man with a white beard and mustache sewing a billet from a log. He would think the caption meant, Man sawing wood. How would he know that it was really Wilhelm II in exile at Dorn? Sachiko had taken off her loop and was lighting a cigarette. I can think of pictures intended to explain their captions, she said. These picture-language books, the sort we use in the service. Little line drawings, with a word or phrase under them. Well, of course, if we found something like that, von Ulmhorst began. Michael Ventris found something like that back in the 50s. Hubert Penrose's voice broke in from directly behind her. She turned her head. The colonel was standing by the archaeologist's table. Captain Field and the aerodyne pilot had gone out. He found a lot of Greek inventories of military stores, Penrose continued. They were in Cretan linear B script, and at the head of each list was a little picture, a sword or a helmet or a cooking tripod or a chariot wheel. That's what gave him the key to the script. Colonel's getting to be quite an archaeologist, Fitzgerald commented. We're all learning each other's specialties on this expedition. I heard about that long before this expedition was even contemplated. Penrose was tapping a cigarette on his gold case. I heard about that back before the Thirty Days War, at intelligence school, when I was a lieutenant. As a feat of cryptanalysis, not an archaeological discovery. Yes. Cryptanalysis, von Olmhorst pounced. The reading of a known language in an unknown form of writing. Ventris' lists were in the known language, Greek. Neither he nor anybody else ever read a word of the Cretan language until the finding of the Greek Cretan bilingual in 1963. Because only with a bilingual text, one language already known, can an unknown ancient language be learned. And what hope, I ask you, have we of finding anything like that here? Martha, you've been working on these Martian texts ever since we landed here, for the last six months. Tell me, have you found a single word to which you can positively assign a meaning? Yes, I think I have one. She was trying hard not to sound too exultant. Doma, it's the name of one of the months of the Martian calendar. Where did you find that? Von Olmhorst asks. And how did you establish... here. She picked up the photostat and handed it along the table to him. I'd call this the title page of a magazine. He was silent for a moment, looking at it. Yes, I would say so too. Have you any of the rest of it? I'm working on the first page of the first article, listed there. Wait till I see, yes. Here's all i found, together, here. She told him where she had gotten it. I just gathered it up at the time and gave it to Jeffrey and Rosita to photostat. This is the first time I've really examined it. The old man got to his feet, brushing tobacco ashes from the front of his jacket, and came to where she was sitting, laying the title page on the table and leafing quickly through the stack of photostats. Yes, and here is the second article on page eight, and here's the next one. He finished the pile of photostats. A couple of pages missing at the end of the last article. This is remarkable, surprising that a thing like a magazine would have survived so long. Well, this silicone stuff the Martians used for paper is pretty durable, Hubert Penrose said. There doesn't seem to have been any water or any other fluid in it originally, so it wouldn't dry out with time. Oh, it's not remarkable that the material would have survived we found a good many books and papers in excellent condition. But only a really vital culture, an organized culture, will publish magazines. And this civilization had been dying for hundreds of years before the end. It might have been a thousand years before the time they died out completely that such activities as publishing ended. Oh well, look where I found it. In a closet in a cellar. Tossed in there and forgotten, and then ignored when they were stripping the building. Things like that happened. Penrose had picked up the title page and was looking at it. I don't think there's any doubt about this being a magazine at all. He looked again at the title, his lips moving silently. Master Norvad Tutovas Sornhova. Wonder what it means. But you're right about the date. Doma seems to be the name of a month. Yes. You have a word, Dr. Dane. Sid Chamberlain seeing that something unusual was going on, had come over from the table at which he was working. After examining the title page and some of the inside pages, he began whispering into the stenophone he had taken from his belt. "'Don't try to blow this up to anything big, Sid,' she cautioned. "'All we have is the name of a month, and Lord only knows how long it'll be till we even find out which month it was.'" "'Well, it's a start, isn't it?' Penrose argued. Grotofend only had the word for king when he started reading Persian cuneiform. But I don't have the word for month, just the name of a month. Everybody knew the names of the Persian kings long before Grotofend. That's not the story, Chamberlain said. What the public back on Terra will be interested in is finding out that the Martians published magazines, just like we do. Something familiar make the Martians seem more real, more human. Three men had come in and were removing their masks and helmets and oxytanks and peeling out of their quilted coveralls. Two were Space Force lieutenants. The third was a youngish civilian with close-cropped blonde hair in a checked woolen shirt. Tony Latimer and his helpers. Don't tell me Martha finally got something out of that stuff, he asked, approaching the table. He might have been commenting on the antics of the village halfwit from his tone. Yes, the name of one of the Martian months, Hubert Penrose went on to explain, showing the photostat. Tony Latimer took it, glanced at it, and dropped it on the table. Sounds plausible, of course, but just an assumption. That word may not be the name of a month at all. Could mean published or authorized or copyrighted or anything like that. Fact is, I don't think it's more than a wild guess that that thing's anything like a periodical. He dismissed the subject and turned to Penrose. I picked out the next building to enter, that tall one with the conical thing on top. It ought to be in pretty good shape inside. The conical top wouldn't allow dust to accumulate, and from the outside, nothing seems to be caved in or crushed. Ground level's higher than the other one, about the seventh floor. I found a good place and drilled for the shots. Tomorrow, I'll blast a hole in it, and if you can spare some people to help, we can start exploring it right away. Yes, of course, Dr. Latimer. I can spare about a dozen, and I suppose you can find a few civilian volunteers, Penrose told him. What will you need in the way of equipment? Oh, about six demolition packets. They can all be shot together. And the usual thing in the way of lights and breaking and digging tools and climbing equipment in case we run into broken or doubtful stairways. We'll divide into two parties. Nothing ought to be entered for the first time without a qualified archaeologist along. Three parties, if Martha can tear herself away from this catalog of systematized incomprehensibilities she's making long enough to do some real work. She felt her chest tighten and her face become stiff. She was pressing her lips together to lock in a furious retort when Hubert Penrose answered for her. Dr. Dane's been doing as much work, and as important work, as you have, he said brusquely. More important work, I'd be inclined to say. Von Olmhorst was visibly distressed. He glanced once toward Sid Chamberlain, then looked hastily away from him, afraid of a story of dissension among archaeologists getting out. Working out a system of pronunciation by which the Martian language could be transliterated was a most important contribution, he said, and Martha did that almost unassisted. Unassisted by Dr. Latimer, anyway, Penrose added. Captain Field and Lieutenant Koremitsu did some work, and I helped out a little, but nine-tenths of it she did herself. Purely arbitrary, Latimer disdained. Why, we don't even know that the Martians could make the same kind of vocal sounds we do. Oh, yes, we do, Ivan Fitzgerald contradicted, safe on his own ground. I haven't seen any actual Martian skulls. These people seem to have been very tidy about disposing of their dead. But from statues and busts and pictures I've seen, I'd say that their vocal organs were identical with their own. Well, grant that, and grant that it's going to be impressive to rattle off the names of Martian notables whose statues we find, and that if we're ever able to attribute any place names, they'll sound a lot better than this horse doctor's Latin the old astronomers splashed all over the map of Mars, Vladimir said. What I object to is her wasting time on this stuff of which nobody will ever be able to read a word if she fiddles around with those lists till there's another hundred feet of Loos on this city, when there's so much real work to be done, and we're as shorthanded as we are. That was the first time that had come out in just so many words. She was glad Latimer had said it, and not Selim von Omhorst. What you mean, she retorted, is that it doesn't have the publicity value that digging up statues has. For an instant, she could see that the shot had scored. Then Latimer, with a side glance at Chamberlain, answered, What I mean is that you're trying to find something that any archaeologist, yourself included, should know doesn't exist. I don't object to your gambling your professional reputation and making a laughingstock of yourself. What I object to is that the blunders of one archaeologist discredit the whole subject in the eyes of the public. That seemed to be what worried Latimer most. She was framing a reply when the communication outlet whistled shrilly, and then squawked, Cocktail time! One hour to dinner! Cocktails in the library! Hut four! The library, which was also lounge, recreation room, and general gathering place, was already crowded. Most of the crowd was at the long table topped with sheets of glass-like plastic that had been wall panels, out of one of the ruined buildings. She poured herself what passed here for a martini, and carried it over to where Salim von Olmhorst was sitting alone. For a while, they talked about the building they had just finished exploring, then drifted into reminiscences of their work on Terra. Von Olmhorst's in Asia Minor, with the Hittite Empire, and hers in Pakistan, excavating the cities of the Harappa civilization. They finished their drinks, The ingredients were plentiful, alcohol and flavoring extracts synthesized from Martian vegetation, and von Olmhorst took the two glasses to the table for refills. You know, Martha, he said when he returned, Tony was right about one thing. You are gambling your professional standing and reputation. It's against all archaeological experience that a language so completely dead as this one could be deciphered. There was a continuity between all the other ancient languages. By knowing Greek, Champollion learned to read Egyptian. By knowing Egyptian, Hittite was learned. That's why you and your colleagues have never been able to translate the Harappa hieroglyphics. No such continuity exists there. If you insist that this utterly dead language can be read, your reputation will suffer for it. I heard Colonel Penrose say once, that an officer who's afraid to risk his military reputation seldom makes much of a reputation. It's the same with us. If we really want to find things out, we have to risk making mistakes. And I'm a lot more interested in finding things out than I am in my reputation. She glanced across the room to where Tony Latimer was sitting with Gloria Standish, talking earnestly, while Gloria sipped one of the counterfeit martinis and listened. Gloria was the leading contender for the title of Miss Mars, 1996, if you liked big bosomy blondes, but Tony would have been just as attentive to her if she'd looked like the Wicked Witch in the Wizard of Oz, because Gloria was the pan-Federation telecast system commentator with the expedition. I know you are, the old Turco-German was saying. That's why, when they asked me to name another archaeologist for this expedition, I named you. He hadn't named Tony Latimer. Latimer had been pushed onto the expedition by his university. There had been a lot of high-level spring pulling to that. She wished she knew the whole story. She'd managed to keep clear of universities and university politics. All her digs had been sponsored by non-academic foundations or art museums. You have an excellent standing, much better than my own at your age. That's why it disturbs me to see you jeopardizing it by this insistence that the Martian language can be translated. I can't really see how you can hope to succeed. She shrugged and drank some more of her cocktail, then lit another cigarette. It was getting tiresome to try to verbalize something she only felt. And neither do I now, but I will. Maybe I'll find something like the picture books Sachiko was talking about. A child's primer, maybe. "'Surely they had things like that. "'And if I don't, I'll find something else. "'We've only been here six months. "'I can wait the rest of my life if I have to, "'but I'll do it sometime.' "'I can't wait so long,' Von Olmhorst said. "'The rest of my life will only be a few years, "'and when the Schiaparelli orbits in, "'I'll be going back to Terra on the Cyrano.' "'I wish you wouldn't. "'This is a whole new world of archaeology, literally.' "'Yes.' He finished the cocktail and looked at his pipe, as though wondering whether to relight it so soon before dinner, then put it in his pocket. A whole new world. But I've grown old, and it isn't for me. I've spent my life studying the Hittites. I can speak the Hittite language, though maybe King Muwatallis wouldn't be able to understand my modern Turkish accent. But the things I'd have to learn here— chemistry, physics, engineering— how to run analytic tests on steel girders and borillo-silver alloys, and plastics and silicones. I'm more at home with a civilization that rode in chariots and fought with swords and was just learning how to work iron. Mars is for young people. This expedition is a cadre of leadership. Not only the Space Force people, who will be the commanders of the main expedition, but us scientists, too. And I am just an old cavalry general who can't learn to command tanks and aircraft. You'll have time to learn about Mars. I won't. His reputation as the dean of his was solid and secure, too, she added mentally. Then she felt ashamed of the thought. He wasn't to be classed with Tony Latimer. All I came for was to get the work started, he was continuing. The Federation government felt that an old hand should do that. Well, it's started now. You and Tony and whoever come out on the Chaparelli must carry it on. You said it yourself. You have a whole new world. This is only one city of the last Martian civilization. Behind this, you have the late Upland culture and the canal builders and all the civilizations and races and empires before them. Clear back to the Martian Stone Age. He hesitated for a moment. You have no idea what all you have to learn, Martha. This isn't the time to start specializing too narrowly. End of part one.